keep working hard, you keep your head down, you do what you can in the circumstances. And then when opportunity meets that preparation, some real good things can happen. And I'm Libby Gladys. We're hosting the Tech Sales is for Hustlers special campus series. There are almost 5,000 colleges and universities nationwide, and only about 200 have dedicated sales programs. We are finding the leaders of those programs to get a behind the scenes look at how they're prepping the next generation of sales stars. Join us as we talk about their own career journeys, what advice they have for students considering a future in sales, and insights into what every student needs to know for a sales career. The Tech Sales is for Hustlers special campus series. Welcome back, Hustlers, to another episode of the Tech Sales is for Hustlers campus series. I am Libby Galatis. And I am Kristen Wisdorf. And today we have Dr. Wayne Keene from the University of Missouri. He's the director of sales there. Welcome, Wayne. Thank you, ladies. Uh, It's a pleasure joining you all on this podcast today. We're really excited to pick your brain, learn more about your program and your background. And those that have listened to the podcast before, we usually start off by asking one of the most important questions that we ask our candidates when we interview them. What is your 60-second snapshot? We're interested in your highlight reel. Tell us a bit about who you are and how you became the person you are today. Absolutely. The way I always answer this question is I grew up dirt poor in the middle of a cornfield in Illinois. My parents lived in a small town and we were close to a metropolitan area, but we were more of a bedroom community. And we were a typical lower middle-class family in that sense. But when I was in third grade, my dad lost his job. And we spent about the next eight years in the economic wilderness. We lost our house. We had to move food stamps, that whole thing. I remember having the blue lunch card when everybody else had a green one. So they'd make sure that that everybody knew I was poor, that kind of thing. And we struggled through that. And my dad did everything he could, worked odd jobs, did everything to give us an opportunity adding a little bit more degree of difficulty. I'm an identical twin. So every cost was doubled for everything that we did. And uh, so it was a struggle, but it was a good thing. I I learned a lot. I learned a lot about overcoming adversity at a very young age. I went to work very young, working in bean fields, mowing yards, going to work at Walmart, worked midnights there. It was a janitor at Walmart. Went to work at a steel mill, a local steel mill, 3,000 degrees, molten lava everywhere. And you know, school, college wasn't something that was on the horizon. Just in the town where we grew up, I was good in school, good in high school, good academics, good athlete, but it just wasn't, wasn't on the horizon. So I did those jobs. And then I got a chance to go into sales. And it turns out I was pretty good at it. And then I went back and got my degree when I was a working adult at 29 years old. Got my master's degree about a year and a half later was a general manager, then got into teaching and I'll fill in the blanks as we go along. But that's really the crux of it, right? That you start out and things don't go the way that you thought. And then you just keep working. You keep working hard, you keep your head down, you do what you can in the circumstances. And then when opportunity meets that preparation, some real good things can happen. And sales was the vehicle for that for me. Wow. You have such an incredible upbringing to start. It's true rags to riches, right? You you picked yourself up and pushed yourself into the position that you're in now. I think 
That's incredible. I want to take a step back and, and talk a bit about what that first experience in sales was like for you. How did it come about? Did it land in your lap? Was that intentional? Just tell us a bit about just how it happened. Not intentional at all. It was actually one of these things where I was working as a laborer in the steel mill and we were on break one day and I noticed a flyer that they were looking for an inside sales professional. And the guys that I was with, I'd been there about two years. And the guys I was with said they never do this. They never have a flyer like this in here. I wonder what this is all about. And I remember turning to one of the guys, I was like, I wish they could hire somebody who could sell this stuff. So we'd stop getting laid off. And he said, why don't you try? And I was like, why would I try? So we worked at Walmart about customer service and we all call you college anyway. You might as well try it. And I was like, well, and as it turned out, I'd made an impression on the HR manager who was in charge of that. When she had hired me two years before, I came to the interview for a labor position in a double-breasted suit. My grandpa had you stood out. Me, I did. My grandpa told me you wear a suit to an interview. So I spent the last 200 bucks I had in my banking account at Macy's to get this suit. Brown pinstripe, very nice suit, by the way. But I walked in there and she goes, do you know what you're interviewing for us at a job that pays double what I make at Walmart? And she's like, yeah, but it's not. So anyway, she had remembered me and I sent something in. And uh, I was working midnights at the time. So I got off of midnights. I'd gone in at, what was it, nine o'clock in the evening, got off at seven in the morning. And I went home, got a shower, shaved, drove to St. Louis in the Metropolitan Square building, 42 floors of that, spent the entire day in an interview. I had not had any sleep in about 30 some odd hours. And on the way home, I got a call and they said, we'd like for you to start in sales. Wow. Okay. Talk about taking an opportunity and going for it. Just noticing the flyer and having the conversation and with your colleagues and I guess the guts, the courage, the confidence, whatever, to put yourself out there. Yeah. I think that students nowadays and people in their first job in sales can learn a lot from that because you weren't afraid of hard work and work ethic with the types of jobs that you did, but also you weren't afraid to invest in yourself and go buy that $200 suit to get to the next job or the next thing that you wanted. Well, and, and here's a couple of things about that. So number one, I've still got the scrap piece of paper that I wrote the thing down on from 1997. It, it's still in, in my possession. But the other thing is when I did the calculations, if I would have worked a full year in the labor in the mill because of overtime and other things, I would have made X amount of dollars. This sales position, I actually took a $5,000 a year pay cut. If everything, now I didn't work all the time because we'd get laid off. But because of this, in reality, people are like, man, do you sure you want to do this? You're going to take a pay cut. So most of my biggest career changes, I've taken a pay cut to change trajectory and then it's paid off in spades. And so don't be afraid. Don't follow the money always. Follow a yeah. follow something you love and the money will come after it. And that's a lesson I think students should learn as well because they all want a scoreboard. Hey, I got this job pays this much. I got this paid this much. That's great. You're making $60,000 a year in New York City, but you're in a fifth floor walk up with eight other people on food stamps. So you want mm -hmm. to make sure that it's, and if it's something you love, do it. Take that hit, get 10 roommates. It's fine. 
but make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Yes, it's important, but it's not the most important right. thing always. We have a funny little quip here. We like to say an early college sales professional, their favorite four letter word is base, <laughs> but which is, which makes sense, right? Because you're money motivated people when you're in sales, which is a good thing. But I think it's really important what you just said. You were willing to bet on yourself and to bet on what you were going to get out of the experience to take that pay cut. Yeah. And you were willing to take the take the chance to spend the last $200 you had to get the suit, right? Like it's about taking chances and betting on yourself and betting on what it's going to do for you in the long run. Well, and that's a really good story. And, and ladies, here's the best part about it. The first day I was on the job, I sat and stared at a computer for eight hours <laughs> because I didn't know how to turn it on. I graduated high no school. No way. I graduated high school in 1990. I did my senior paper on yeah. a typewriter. Then I went to work for Walmart, no computers there for what I was doing and maintenance and janitorial and all that. Then I went to the steel mill, no computers there. So now yeah. all of a sudden it's 1997. I'm like, what is this? So I've got a brother who's uh, four and a half years younger than me. So I've got an identical twin and then one that's four and a half years younger. I called him. I said, how do you turn these things on? And then there we go, because all of a sudden it's 1995, 97, Windows 95, Windows 97. The world had changed. But luckily, and here's the part of the secret to my success is I grew up in an analog world. But I was only 23, 25 when digital hit. So I was still young yeah. enough to jump on that. So I process things in an analog way, understanding the digital tools that help me be successful. And I think that's something that I've got both the, the the tech and the analytics, but I've also got the personal and the analog side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's a great start to our conversation today. I think it can resonate with a lot of people who jump into sales unexpectedly, or it, they happen to see a job posting that they hadn't considered, or they have to re work really hard to get where they are. And sales is a great opportunity to change your life, which is exciting. That's absolutely right. We'll talk about learning curve, not not being even able to use a computer for starting that role. I'm interested just to dive more into that initial sales position, mostly because the position that we hire for at Memory Blue is, is so entry level. What do you think your biggest challenge was in, in that experience? Or maybe you can tell us a handful of that. You turn the computer on, of course. That's a funny thing. And so once I turned it on, I looked at Again, what am I actually working with here? What, what do they want? And so they wanted someone who could do proactive inside sales. They'd always been reactive. They had customer service, but had never done a proactive. So they said, we want somebody to get on the phones and just start jamming calls, dial for dollars and that type of thing. I said, okay, we can do that. And six weeks in, they're like, your calls have dramatically dropped in number of, of calls you've made. I said, because I've gotten customers and now I have to service those customers. And there's a lot of things that are causing me time blocks. And so again, this is 1997. I've got a Team 4 modem sitting next to my phone squeaking at me when I try to do anything on CompuServe or Mosaic or whatever the browser was at that time. And so what I did was, okay, how can I create some efficiencies here? So I worked with the tech guys. And when I say tech guys, the people who worked our mainframe, we had an entire building that had a gigantic computer in it. And all it did was spit information at you. It wasn't a graphical user interface or anything like that. So I said, can we take all this information we've got in there and dump it into something where I can see it faster? 
and I, I can get the phones going faster. And we used an off-the-shelf, very early rudimentary CRM system called Maximizer. And we combined those two things. And I built, I, I had them build some ag- algorithms out. I talked them through this process. Now, fast forward almost 30 years, Mark Benioff is rich with Salesforce.com. It's like, God, I was doing that then. Why didn't I do anything with it? But anyway, no sour grapes. I'm glad he's rich. I've been there to Salesforce. It's cool. But here's the other thing is I took my analog understanding of algebra and I built pricing algorithms on an old Lotus 123 spreadsheet program. That was an old IBM program. There was one computer PC sitting in the back of the sales office. We would have to get up from our phones walk to a desk in the middle of the office, flip through a three ring binder to find out the discounts for the customer we were on the call with. Like, we can't do this. That's all kinds of nonsense. So I was making efficiencies through these things. I was making the technology work for me. That is awesome. I I actually think about 20, 30 years from now, when we talk to your students that are in your classes and they say, yeah, back when I had my laptop working, doing school from home, learning all about Salesforce, and it's like a distant memory. So it's crazy how quickly things change. This old man teacher, we had us on the thing called Zoom and Squadcast. Yeah. And what, what was that all about? Yeah, exactly. But one thing that I will say is that first sales job of yours is actually really, although the technology is different, it's very similar to oh, yes, to yeah. the job we hire SDRs for and what they do and selling technology. I'm interested to know, did you have any family members, anyone in your, I guess, in your orbit that could help you through that first job, that first sales job, anybody who had been in sales before, customer service that could help you? Did you feel your way through the dark and figure it out on your own? I I had to figure it out on my own in many ways. And the way that, one thing I people ask anybody in in sales and that, my family had all been in in labor and manufacturing and things like that. My grandfather, and and that's who I'm named for. So my first name is actually Charles, and I'm named for my grandfather. He was a painter. And when I say a painter, he painted offices, right, at McDonnell Douglas in St. Louis. And he would go around the buildings for 25 years around that campus, just painting buildings and stuff. And he was just a great personable person. He never knew a stranger. He was always the glad hander around town. He held court with friends and he was always this person. So I always watched how he handled people and worked with people. And my father was that way in many ways as well. That's where I get a little name from is, is from him. And so I saw them exhibit that weren't actually. And so that's something I do now in my classes is I look for people who exhibit qualities that we can then put in the right lane of sales because there's all kinds of different lanes of sales. And so what I would do was I'm a really good listener and I'm really good at asking probing questions and putting those things together. And so when I would get on the phone, I could see the body language through the phone, if that makes sense. Through how they were talking, I could tell the body language and the nonverbals. And so I would cue in on that pretty quickly and turn the conversation in a way that I could keep them on the phone longer. And that's the way that that I was able to, to really move that. And I'm a student growing up poor like I did. The one factor, the one equalizing factor that I had 
was we had a Carnegie library in our town, an old Carnegie library, and it was a free public library. I outread everyone. That's the key to success is I outread everyone. I've in my house right now, I've got close to 900 books. My oldest one is from the 1860s. And I'm able to synthesize people through reading histories and biographies and classical literature. That is such great advice. It's interesting. You didn't have access to so many resources and you were able to still build something where I think many wouldn't have seen opportunity. You built it for yourself. From a motivation standpoint, and we talk a bit about what people are motivated by, what salespeople are motivated by, money, all that stuff. When you were in that transition, when you jumped into that sales role, what was your biggest motivator? What pushed you? Because it's hard to imagine that there were major long-term goals attached to that because it was uncertainty and completely unfamiliar territory. I'm curious, like, what was your biggest motivator to succeed jumping into that opportunity? Well, let me say what mine was, and then I'm going to turn that into something that can be more generalizable. Okay. So for me, I remember very distinctly, I get in there and I have no degree. I have no college, nothing. Nobody else had college degrees. And one of the things they said when they hired me was the college degree is great, but we need somebody who understands the steel and you can jump in there a lot quicker than they can. And you've got these characteristics. And I remember distinctly one of the, the folks on the existing sales team said, great. Now that just diminishes the, my college degree. I want to show you. So it's belonging. My motivation was I'm going to show you I belong. And so I was out hustling, out work, and they were going home. I was doing, I was still working algorithms. They all had access to the same computer. I, they just didn't go on. Once I had learned how to turn it on, I've never turned it off. And so that was my motivation was I'm going to show you, I'll show you I have value in this. And so what I want people to understand about this, and especially a lot of times I see women in sales, women in tech or, or male dominated industries, is that imposter syndrome? Do I belong? All of that. Yes, you belong. You belong in this. You're needed in this. Your voice, your perspective, all of these things are needed. I know you're outworking the guys in college already. I know you're doing these things. So keep doing and don't, don't be what I call criminal humble. You don't have to be a jerk about it, but you also have to let people know that, thing, that you're doing things, that, that you're creating some successes. So don't be criminally humble. Be humble, be hardworking, but don't be criminally humble to where you're dismissing the effort and the outcome getting in this. Yeah, your accomplishments. That's amazing. I, you made a comment that you had the same access to the same computer. I think what makes okay salespeople good and what makes good salespeople great and what makes the great salespeople elite is what they do with the resources and the access they have and how they're able to take advantage of it and work hard and use the resources and outreach one and you never turn yeah. the computer off. That's such a great example of what it really takes to take yourself to the next level in sales or really in, in any career. And anything in life. And one of my favorite memes out there is never forget you have as many hours in the day as Beyonce. You can be a queen too. <laughs> okay. You made a comment earlier about your grandfather, I think, and your, who's a painter and your father had qualities about them. Let's talk a little bit about the students in your program and the qualities that you look for in future salespeople. What think are, if there's someone listening to this podcast and they don't maybe have access to a sales program or classes at their school. What qualities do, 
might they possess that make them good at a job in sales, whether it's inside sales, outside sales, customer success, et cetera? Comfort with ambiguity. That, that's a big thing because I think we've rubriced our students to death. Expect that if it's not in the rubric, then it's not important. Actually, it is, right? The rubric's not all-encompassing. There are more options in life than A, B, C, or D. It's not a multiple-choice test. It's a lifelong long answer test. As well. And so I'm looking for students who view uh, the world. They're looking at different solutions. I do uh, a little exercise in my class but in a little different context so I don't blow it up to be able to use it in the class, right? But think about this, right? We're conditioned that if, let's say you threw a pin down on the floor and you and the pin and I say, okay, pick up that pin. Well, people just walk straight to it, right? And they hand it, they pick it up and they hand it to me and they smile. I say, well, how else could you have solved that problem? Well, then they're stumped. Well, there's 360 degrees of how they could have approached it. They could have taken a tool and pulled it towards them. They could have done all these things. Now, we're taught to do the most efficient thing. Well, when we do the most efficient thing many times, we commoditize ourselves. That's the same thing everybody else does. So what's the differentiator? Price. Well, who wins when you go to the low ball on price? No one. So what we should be looking at is, well, why does the pin need to be picked up? What are, are there other options that we could use instead of that? Do you have a different problem? Maybe the problem is not that the pin fell down, but maybe your grip or maybe we need to look at carpal tunnel syndrome. There's all of these things that we could ask instead of just immediately being programmed to, I'm just going to pick up the pin like everybody else. Did. I think that is an incredible point and correlates. I mean, obviously we're talking about sales, but that sense of curiosity, asking questions, you're not going to gather that information unless you ask. And that's it. In any type of when you're doing business development or sales development, like what we do at Memory Blue, you have to gather information. That's what you are. You don't want to info dump a bunch of information about your solution or product on somebody that you don't know whether or not it would be a true fit for them. And that's an incredible point. With that said, I think we've talked about what's teachable when it comes to strong salespeople. You want to share perspective and educate them just to prepare them. Do you think that there are certain qualities of strong or successful salespeople that regardless of the professor you're learning from or what someone's telling you, you can't teach certain qualities? Do you believe that any of those are kind of inherent or you're born with what needs to be in place for you to really find success in a sales role that you might not necessarily receive from a classroom? I think along those lines, and there's some controversy, and I say that very lightheartedly, but there's some around this idea, but that is in, inherent in most successful people is what you just said, that curiosity. But I would go a little bit further is that it's curiosity, empathy, and appreciation. So those are character important. And I think what is taught, to give a broad example here, I think what is taught is tolerance. I think what's inherent that makes people very successful is appreciation. Here's the difference, right? When we're taught tolerance, the root of that is I'm going to tolerate you. It means I'm not necessarily in your corner, but factors say I have to be this way. And appreciation is just a natural appreciation for whatever. And so what I learned, even though I didn't get on a plane consciously, I was two years old. I flew back from Washington where my dad was stationed in the Air Force until I was 25 years old. I lived in a community that looked exactly like me, a very small insular community. But because I read, because I did all these things, I had an appreciation for a large world. 
And so when I first went into sales and my first sales trip was to Manhattan, to Times Square, to work with an importer exporter in 1997, New York City, not Disney, New York City, 1997, New York City. And I was like, this is interesting. Let's see what I can appreciate about this. Let's see, instead of having these walls up or these other things, I could connect with people. The one thing that we can't teach is how to naturally connect with people. We can teach some skills to help people connect, but it's this way, right? So Libby, I don't know if people will be able to see this, but you're wearing glasses. So are those glasses or do you have to actually wear glasses? So I'm wearing contact lenses, but I, so I wear glasses. Okay. So the first thing you morning is the reach over. You reach to get the glasses so you can start your day. Okay. Now we've taught you how to compensate for that thing that you lack. You lack the vision, but somebody who's never had glasses, they just naturally do it. Right. Kristen, you just, you don't even think about it. You just naturally do it. And so I use the example of a chameleon. Salespeople have to be chameleons. They have to be different things to different people, but it's not an affectation that we put on. It can be, we can teach you those affectations, but if someone's naturally a chameleon, because where does the chameleon's colors come from? Do they get a paintbrush in the desert and paint it on? No, it's inside them. So if someone has that inside them, they are naturally going to be drawn and be better at dealing with people and be better at sales. I can teach you all the affectations. I can teach you all of the glasses, but there'll be some times, Libby, that you forget your glasses. Are you looking to join an industry with unlimited professional opportunity? It has never been a better time than right now to start a lucrative career in high-tech sales. Memory Blue has launched hundreds of careers for accomplished high-tech sales professionals from our offices coast to coast, and right now, we're in hiring mode. Working with us will accelerate your professional growth and place you on a path to success early in your sales career. You'll get world-class training through the Memory Blue Academy program and sharpen those skills with ongoing mentorship and coaching from our seasoned sales leaders. Memory Blue is an expansion mode, and we have immediate openings in all of our offices. We have been named one of the fastest growing private companies in the U.S. by Inc. Magazine for eight straight years. Our award-winning culture has been recognized by third-party industry groups as the best in the business as we routinely add unbelievable benefits and rewards for our team. To learn more and apply to any of our openings, visit memoryblue.com careers today. Just dropping knowledge bombs left and right here. Your perspective is, it's just so genuine. I can tell that you're so passionate. I'm jealous of the students that get to sit in your classes and learn from you. I want to take a step back and talk about that an initial role and kind of translate it to the students that you have graduating and going into that first role post-grad. You mentioned that you have to find out what you love and dive headfirst into that and being about it love what you do. Um, And I think a lot of struggle with that. Your first job out of school, what does that actually mean? What is most important? Because 90% of the time, it's not going to be your forever job. So kind of advice do you provide for your students when they are kind of weighing out their options with so many opportunities in front of them? What What should they really be looking to get out of that first sales role? So there's advice, but then there's also tangible things that we can do, right? So the advice would be, Talk to a lot of people, get a network, get uh, mentors, use your resources on campus, whether you're in a fraternity or a sorority or a business organization, use those resources, talk to other people, talk to every recruiter that comes on campus. I had a student who now on her third promotion at this company, and 
I begged her to come to a networking event. I said, just come out to it. It would be great. If nothing else, it's free food and drinks on the university, right? Just come out. And she came out and it was a company she'd never heard of. It was a B2B thing that was not anything she'd ever thought of at all. She got to talking with them. And as it turned out, their, their supply chain was all about the environment, all green. Now, their go-to-market didn't necessarily look that way, but everything leading up to that was, and she just fell in love with it. She sent me, I don't know how many notes, like I never would have gone to that working event unless you prodded me. And so just broaden out your ideas on that. And then the other thing I would say to, and, and other students who would be listening to this, push your faculty, push your colleges and your sales programs to partner up with companies like you all to come into the classroom. I have... 10 different companies that come into my classroom during the year. Seven of those, we do role plays with them. So the students in my classes, 130 some odd students a semester, get to see seven different companies and how their sales and go to market would look like before they ever have to make a decision. So they get firsthand experience watching students go through these role plays and themselves going through one. And I give them the list at the beginning of the semester. I said, choose your top three. And I try to make sure that I get them connected with at least one of those top three so they can be excited about doing that role play. And then maybe they see one they didn't have on their radar and they're like, gosh, those are things that you can do to get people excited about this. That's a good, good advice. Talk to everyone, use all your resources because 10, 20 years ago, we didn't even have sales programs and those resources no. to students. So that's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the program at Mizzou and what you're doing there. When and how did you decide to make the leap from your sales job into teaching? Tell us a little bit about that. So it was kind of like my first job in sales, right? And I'll lead up to that in a second, but it involves a uh, pay cut. <laughs> so I, I finished up my degree as a working adult. And in that program, there were a lot of working professionals who were the faculty and who were teaching us. And I just love that real life experience that they had. And so when I finished up my master's degree, I was uh, a month away from turning 31. So I was, it was December and then I turned 31 in January. So when I did that, that next summer, I was general manager for a manufacturing company back in St. Louis. And I was still involved with the university because I had met my wife there and she uh, worked in that program actually. And so she was still involved and I was involved with them. And they said, hey, would you like to really good student? Your presentations were great. We know you've got a sales background. It seems to be a great skill for uh, teaching. Yeah, it's just sales. I'm teaching, I'm selling you education. And so I said, yeah, actually, I'd love to. Because when I was growing up, dirt from nowhere, my life goal was to be a high school history teacher and coach basketball. That, that was where I saw the rise. And that was success for me. And now all of a sudden, all these years later, I'm a professor and I coach my kids ball teams, right? So life has an interesting way of making its way around in ways you never imagined. Okay. So that's one lesson to take away from it. But I was teaching and I was doing fine at my job, enjoying it, making money and all that kind of thing. And it just got me, got me because I was teaching predominantly African-American women who were first generation, all of that. And years before I knew this and it really came out, I got a job in sales, no back, no nothing. And there were a lot of people to, who had different experiences than I did. Mm -hmm. And they didn't look like me. Yeah. 
Okay. And I got a shot because everybody in that sales office and I, I don't aspersions. I'm just looking at it through a lens, right? Yeah. But I'm a 6'2", 200 pound white male. And I was like, man, I got to be able to do something a little bit different and help people out a little bit differently here. Right. And that was of its time. Again, I'm not making any judgments. It's just, it was of its time. And so seeing these women and seeing what they were doing and knowing what I had gone through, I was like, boy, this is interesting. I wish I could figure out a way to do this. And I'd made some connections with some people and long story short, I got an opportunity to come out here to mid Missouri and teach. And I always say the best sales job I ever did was I went to my wife and I said, look, I got an idea. Let's take a two thirds cut in my salary. Let's get rid of your entire salary. Let's move to mid Missouri where we have our first kid and start teaching. And she said, yes. So somebody's pretty good at sales. (laughs) We came out here and we got a job and, and I literally took a two thirds cut in salary. And it took 10 years to get back to where I was when I left, but for all the betterment, right? I mean, the people that I've been able to impact, the first generation students, the the students from diverse backgrounds, all of these things that I was able to to create. And so my first job was at Stevens College. It's an all women's school here in Columbia. And I was kind of moonlighting over at uh, Mizzou because they were growing and need some help. And my fifth year at Stevens, I was at a, a conference in, in Washington, D.C., and I got a call from the department chair at uh, Mizzou, and he said, hey, we've, our dean is retiring. He's been here 20 years. He wants to make sure we have a sales program started before he leaves. You've been teaching sales management for us. You've been doing a great job. Would you come over and be a champion for that? And I always say the funnest part about that was they said, we don't have any money and we don't know what it should look like. And I'm like, great. You can't tell me what to do and you can't tell me I'm doing it wrong, right? <laughs> now, I say that in jest. I mean, it's a public university. They can tell you whatever they want to. But in, in that sense, it's very entrepreneurial, okay? Do something with this. And that was the same thing that I did when I went into that first inside sales job. We don't know how to do this. We've never done it. Will you do it? And that's what that came about. And so I said, yes, immediately. And that was 10 years ago. We started a certificate. Then we became a mentor. I've just launched an inside sales lab, first of its kind in the country and with top programs and universities in the country. That is incredible. Um, That's just such a great perspective. And I mean, your journey, like you said, it, it sort of came full circle, your goals when you were in that small town environment with, so you were just so limited in that position and now here you are and, and full circle. What courses do you teach, if you don't mind, just kind of walking us through a bit about the different levels of sales courses? Yeah, absolutely. So when I first started the program, again, limited resource. So I'm like every day, I'm not telling 20 year old sales stories because we're self-funded. So everything that I do is self-funded. I can tell the students the contracts I negotiated last week for new companies to join our Insights Sales Lab. Those things are are every day, so I'm constantly doing that. But when we first started, we had limited resources. So a student could conceivably get a certificate in sales and only have me as their faculty. I taught retail, taught consumer behavior, I taught levels of marketing, I taught sales management, personal sell. I've taught the gamut of everything. First class I ever taught was an ethics class. I've taught personal finance, I've taught management, again, everything. But now I'm concentrating on the personal selling selling Mm -hmm. class. We've grown our faculty, we've brought new folks on. 
that's kind of the showcase class in terms of the corporate involvement because they, they get to see the role plays and that's the thing that students first do when they go in. But we have a fantastic faculty that, that teach sales management. Um, our department chair and, and my colleague and co-director of the center teach an advanced sales class where they use Salesforce and, and other CRMs. They do analytics. We just started an analytics uh, market certificate. So this leaps and bounds, especially over the last years, things really just started rolling. And so now I can concentrate on the personal selling class and on the inside sales lab. Yeah. You talked earlier about how what motivated you when you were in your first sales job was kind of proving that you deserve to be there and that you could belong, right? Was there a moment, I guess, a time when you were like, yes, I do belong, right? Was there like a, a win, a deal, I guess, a time with your colleagues where you were like, yes, I do belong. I deserve to be here. It's funny because I still carried that into my academic career because when I came in, I had an MBA. I didn't have a doctorate Yeah. and solved that problem by going back to school while I was doing all these other things and got my doctorate in educational leadership in 2017. So again, we were talking about the hours you have in your day. If it's important, you'll make time yeah. for it. And it was important to me to get that doctorate and do those things. And so that was an important milestone for me. I think on the sales side of it, when I was early in my career and uh, I got, and I've, again, I, I kind of keep mementos in that, but I've still got the little write-up. Our VP of sales in my division had sent this um, readout. We got these old dot matrix readouts of our sales for the day. And uh, I had closed with a company we hadn't sold to in five years. And I sold two truckloads to the guy. And he wrote a note on this to our uh, Wayne found through telemarketing activities. And it got kind of pinned up on the board. And it's like, okay, he's not just got the guy from the mill anymore. He's a sale that I found. Okay, I can play in this game and, yeah. and I can be here. That's your trophy in front of everyone. That's great. There are a lot of students uh, or recent students who sales them or they end up in sales, whether it was necessarily their first choice. All the you know people you've taught from very different backgrounds and women uh, kind of forging their way. In. How, what advice would you give them to know, hey, this is the right com company for me. And I, how do you teach them or guide them or mentor them to know that they'll belong? Well, this is something, if you've listened to any TED Talks, you've seen the Simon Sinek TED Talk about the what and the why, right? And that's something that I intuitively knew. And when I heard him, I was like, I get that. Okay, that makes sense. That's articulating what I've, what I've looked at. Because I sold steel pipe, right? Nobody grows up saying, I'm going to be a steel pipe sales rep. But what it allowed me to do was, because it was a commodity, I had to be the differentiator. And so then it started, well, then why are you doing this? Well, I'm doing this because of X and they're doing it because of X and do those things make sense? And so I really think it's important for students to figure out why are companies selling what they're selling? What they're selling is it morphs and changes, right? I'm sitting here in, in my office at an antique rocking chair. And that rocking chair uh, broke a couple years ago, and it's this weird metal that uh, spiral uh, spring. I was like, well, I wonder who made it. I wonder if they're still in business. And I looked, and it was a company that had been in business for 100 years in the mid-1920s, right? They'd, been, they'd started in like the 1820s. And today, they're a financial service. They don't make any furniture. And it's like, well, why are they financial services? Well, because in the 1950s, they started selling stuff on credit. 
And then that started to become more profitable than the thing they were actually selling. And so things morph over time. And so you have to ask, well, why is this company doing what they're doing? And is that irrespective of the widget list of what, um, what product we're pushing out? So I'm curious from a teaching standpoint, because I went to a college that didn't have a sales program and we didn't have sales classes like this. And I've learned so much on this podcast, speaking to sales professors and educators. I want you to think about the earlier sales courses for maybe freshmen or sophomores that are just kind of getting their feet wet and learning. What is one thing that, if nothing else, you want your students to take away from initial sales course, What, if there is anything? Well, so I'll answer that in two ways. Uh, number one, intro to sales course is great. And if your college offers one, please take. They don't take an intro to communications or an intro to psychology class. Because really what I want you to take away is people. That's the biggest part is that differentiator. Because here's why. Every company is sitting on a, a mountain of data. Marginally good salespeople can turn that data into some kind of information. Who understand people and people who understand these processes, things that we're talking about, turn it into insight. So you've got data, information, and insight. And the only way you can get insight is if you understand people. So take a communications class, take a psych class, take a sociology class, learn about people in this because data is just data until it's applied to people and situations. And you have to be the one, you're the last one that can make this work. We are not passing the Turing test yet, right? We, 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 the AI can push stuff back to us, but it can't go that last 30 feet. And I was listening to a podcast one time and they were talking about a comedian was talking about what's the difference between a comedian and a critic and this older comedian 30 feet. And he's like, what do you mean the last 30 feet? He said, that's a distance from the first row to the microphone. Everybody else sits in the front row and watches. Mic drop. <laughs> That's such good advice. I think that insight is incredible. So I, I want to transition and we have some like rapid fire questions for you, a little bit more fun. What is, is your favorite book, professional, whatever, favorite book? So this is going to seem weird, but this is my history background and my worldview and all the favorite book. I read it a thousand times. I... 10 original copies of it, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Mm. It's by a journalist named William uh, Shire, and it talks about the rise of Nazi Germany and, and all those type of things. I read it from the standpoint of history. I read it from the standpoint of journalism, and I read it from the standpoint of a cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, if, if you watch and see all the, the personalities and the way this alchemy of evil kind of comes together, you're like, well, that could happen again because it's not in a vacuum. And just being able to understand different points, making a whole. Yeah. Okay. Next one. If you could have a billboard anywhere that said anything that you wanted it to say, where would it be and what would it say? Seven in Illinois. And it would say he didn't do too bad, did he? No, what it would be is so, and I say that because I, I always joke the town I grew up in had two roads coming in and one road going out. Okay. And it's like life and circumstance. Who has been the most influential person in your life to date? Um, I had a teacher and a coach. Um, the teacher her name was Miss Dethridge. And she was, 
I, I tell my students this story. She was a woman that by the standards of the world would not be charismatic or attractive. She had some chromosomal disorders that created male pattern baldness. She had stubble that you had to shave. She was very short. She had issues with weight that carried itself very negatively on her body. Okay. She was the most beautiful woman I've ever met in my life. Most beautiful person I've ever met in my life because she challenged us. She taught an honors uh, class of English. She challenged us to not just memorize, but to learn to not worry about your grade, but to worry about your understanding. And she was fantastic. And we all loved her. And and for all the the health issues she had, she died of an enlarged heart, late 40s. And she looked 60 at that point. And it was tragic. Not other students got to uh, be with her and continue to teach. So she's one. And the other one in my coach, uh, his name was Ed Settles. And I had him one year as a coach. And I, I always joked he was a mini Pat Riley. But for those of the older in the audience, they'll know who Pat Riley was. But he, he coached basketball for us. And, and I came out of, of junior high and early parts of high school. I was a scoring machine. Everybody, my nickname was kind of like the black hole, right? If the ball comes in, it's not going back out because I'm going to shoot it. And he said, Wayne, you to be a defensive specialist. And he showed me how to be a team player. And he showed me how to, to, to put my wants in, in at bay to the greater good. And those are lessons I've taken uh, further in life as well. And I was fortunate to receive a teaching award a number of years ago. And in reading the students' comments, it reminded me that I had never properly thanked him. And I reached out to him on Done in Life and I still use those. Wow. And I'm curious, what is what do you think you are world class at? Uh, listening holistically. I, I have this ability that uh, in my class, and sometimes I can do it really quickly. Sometimes it maybe takes one or two classes, but I can tell you what birth order you are in your family, what cars your family drives, whether you have brothers or sisters. I mean, there's all kinds of things that I can tell about people by just listening to them. And when I say listen, the words that they're saying, how they're saying it, their body language, all of those things. And, and that's something that was a skill that helped me be successful in sales. Before I, all the terms for everything that I was doing, right? Before I went back to school, was this natural intuitive ability to understand what people needed to hear. Because remember in sales, it's not calculated in a way that they hear what they need to hear. And I have one final question for you. And I, what the yeah. order is? No, well, go ahead. This, yeah, we'll put you to the test, Dr. <laughs> we'll do that offline. That <laughs> <laughs> is a little bit more geared to those that are in their first sales role. And we actually have our reps, when they first start with us, read this book called The Dip. And it is to address, you know, that initial downfall, that sinking feeling, questioning what you're doing, if this is a fit for you. And there are certain right. people that can push through it. There are certain people that need additional support too. And a lot of people end up just throwing in the towel because dip is so impactful to them. What advice do you have for sales reps in that first get out of it? Everything good in life is on the other end of hard work. There, there's no going around it. So you, you either trudge through it or you turn around. And, and one of the things that we have to be careful of is we've created a reset generation, right? That if the video game's not going the way you want, you just hit 
Now, when I was growing up, I didn't have video games. My cousin was rich, um, but you just, you had to keep playing until you died, right? We just stop and we start again. And so I have the mentality and many successful people have the, the mentality of, well, I'm just going to go until I die. Well, there's got to be an easier way. Or there's got to be a, a workaround. There's got to be this or that. There is nothing worth having in life that's not on the side of hard work. You, you just have to do it. Now you can create efficiencies in that. I just told you all these things that I did, I had to put in the hours. And, and that's something that I would tell young salespeople, keep going. And I'll tell you one quick way that I look at this as well. My son, he first started playing soccer at six, right? That's a rite of passage in America. Everybody starts playing soccer when they're six. He asked me a question, which when he said it, it was like this very existential question. He said, dad, how do you score a goal? And I stopped for a second and I played soccer and he said, how do you score a goal? And I said, well, Sean, just don't stop. And he, it, at six, he knew what that meant, right? And people, to, people, when they get older, they forget what that means. What it means is, think about it this way. If you're, on, if you're watching a field of six-year-olds play and you've got a kid running towards another soccer ball, the one who moves out of the way is the one who will lose. And so don't stop. People will just move out of your way most of the time. Don't stop yourself. People stop you. Because, and goals, and he still goals as a sophomore in high school. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's such a good, I guess, uh, way to wrap up. Because even if you're in that dip and you hit the reset button, under you, you have coming. to go through it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Well, Dr. King, we have really thoroughly enjoyed our chat with you today. Thank you so much for coming on to our little podcast and giving all sorts of the future generations of sales professionals your your personal experience, because I think a lot of them can relate to it. And if they can't, they can certainly learn from it and apply it in their day to day. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. It's been an absolute joy talking to you ladies. And I just, I tell students all the time, I have my dream job and that is to help you get your dream job. And that's what we want to do with opportunities like this to talk to a broader audience, let them know that you have them and they can continue on with your company for sure. So thank you ladies for having me today. Awesome. And filling sales development roles within the high tech space. And with a one-year performance guarantee and 0% interest financing, you can feel secure in your selection process when you use Memory Blue Direct Hire. As a company, we hire close to 300 SDRs annually across our five office locations. That's nearly an SDR per day all year long. Finding, hiring, and developing sales talent is the core strength of our business. Now we're letting the public tap into the resources of our world-class talent team, specifically trained to find high potential SDRs in order to close this gap. For more information on this service, check out memoryblue.com direct. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep. Yeah.